Welcome to our podcast, Hiking in Heels, with life coach Teresa Coltrane and full-time mum and writer Jessica Heady Gandolfi. Hiking through life can sometimes feel like we are literally hiking in our heels. As women in today's modern world, the pressure to tick all the social boxes is at its peak. Being perfect, being strong, having it all together, the list goes on. Inspired by our own journeys and life struggles, we have come together and we are on a mission to empower other women to overcome their fears and tap into their greatness. With special guests and our own personal stories, our aim is to bring light and healing to inspire you to take your life to the next level. As Coco Chanel once said, keep your head, heels, and standards high. We invite you to kick off your heels, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode 13. Today we get a full introduction to the world of cannabis, and not through the typical slang names as we know, wacky backy, pot, weed, or reefer, but through the lens of Dr. Sherry Afai, who is an emergency medicine physician at Providence St. John's Medical Center. So kick off your heels, relax, and enjoy the show. Sure, so uh, let me introduce myself. So I'm Dr. Sherry Yafai. I'm a technically trained ER doctor a decade ago. A decade ago. That's such a long time. So I've <laughs> been department for about 10 years. And um, about two years ago, I started kind of rethinking the way we address cannabis as it got legalized. And as my family members had just gone through two different cancer diagnoses. So I had a sister-in-law with breast cancer and an uncle who um, ultimately passed from esophageal cancer. And so it was really, it was really unusual because we have oncologists in this day and age who are really recommending that people use cannabis products, but, um, and we're acknowledging that it's helpful for the nausea and the chemo side effects and that it's helpful for pain, but we didn't really have any avenues to recommend it, so to speak. So from the medical perspective, no one was really telling them what to use or how to use or where to use it or anything more than just, you know, go figure out how to smoke pot on weed maps. Um, that, was, that was the extent of it a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the same time, it was legalizing here in California, and I really, you know, did a double take, so to speak, and thought, well, maybe we could do this better. Um, from the medical perspective, maybe we could do this better, and maybe we can start talking to people a little bit more openly now that it's as easy to get as Tylenol you know, it, why aren't we doing this better for patients? So that led me down this like rabbit hole journey that I have gone to <laughs> as really, I, I identify myself as a cannabis specialist or a cannabis physician. So I spend um, 90% of my time in my office at the Relief Institute in Santa Monica, where I do cannabis only consultations. And I spend about 10% of my time still in the ER now. Um, so now I basically work with patients who have cancer, who have pain, who've got, um, you know, uh, insomnia issues. I have a lot of moms and a lot of working parents who come in and they're like my anxiety, my postpartum depression, all of these issues are kind of on high and I stop, I don't want to take medications anymore. I don't want to take pharmaceuticals anymore. And what are my options? Yeah. I've walked into these dispensaries and it really makes me uncomfortable or it makes me feel like I'm doing drugs. Um, and I really want to be able to do this better. 
Um, right. So there's, there's a lot of different types of people out there right now that we're seeing using these products, but we're not really acknowledging how they're using it. And mm. most of the studies up until now were being done through these dispensaries that were called medical, but they were really, you know, for the most part, recreational. And I, I say that mm. that 80% of the recreational, or, you know, 80% plus of the recreational users are masking what the 20% medical really, their needs are. And that's part of the challenge is that we're not addressing those 20% of the population and whether they're mm. young, whether they're old, whether they're middle-aged, whether they have kids or they have adults' children or they don't have children at all, um, whether they are children themselves, we're not really yeah. that factor. Long, long-winded story to how I... But it's fascinating. Yeah, but it really is fascinating. And I think it's especially now because, as you say, it's legal here in California. And so, you know, I think for so many years, it's, it's been a, it's a drug. And so it's classed as that. And there's so much stigma around it and smoking and getting high and pot and this and that. But, I mean, can you explain maybe define cannabis for us and is there a difference between cannabis marijuana is it the same what i mean because there is a stigma people sometimes aren't clear of benefits excellent question actually um it's the very very beginning of all of this and everything that we're talking mm. about so cannabis in general is a big canopy around everything and it really includes everything so um, for example, marijuana is a term that actually started being used, I believe it was the late 1920s and 1930s, when we started having Mexican immigrants coming into um, the United States. And it was actually, it's a very racist term. It's, a, it's actually, mm. it's um, inherent with a, a racial slur, so to speak. So what, what began happening was, was prior to those, that 1920s, 1930s, we actually used cannabis in our medications. We can see it labeled in a lot of, you know, the pharmaceutical medications for cough or for pain. Um, oh, wow. It was actively being used. And then we had Mexican immigrants coming in using a plant called marijuana, which is how they term it. Um, but that's not, that was just their lingo. That was their, their speech. That was their name for the same exact plant. And what we found was that's where marijuana madness came in and reefer madness came in and all these, you know, this is going to make you crazy and this is not good for you. And this is for, um, this is what's causing a lot of our problems in society. And that's actually, it was a way for the United States to imprison Mexicans. It was a way for the United States to actually kick out immigrants. And it was the mm. beginning of this very active problem we're seeing in today's era, right? It mm -hmm. hasn't left us, mm. just taken a different form. And so, yeah. uh, and so in the DEA and in a lot of the paperwork, you'll actually see the term marijuana um, uh, and it's regulated based off of marijuana. And, and it's really interesting that fact. So kind of to get back to your question. So mm -hmm. cannabis is actually the biological name of the plant and the flower and everything okay. that comes okay. from And so when you talk about marijuana, it's, it's, it's a rose by any other name, right? So it's still the same exact medica medication, but it's really the term labeled from Mexican immigrants coming in. Just the same way that we see the term hashish or we see the term, um, you know, reefer or pot or weed or, you know, there's all of these different names and we're talking really essentially about the same thing. 
Now, what has happened in the last decade or so is that we're now able to um, measure out all of the different parts of the plants. And so now we're starting to see all these other new names come up. CBD, hemp-based CBD, THC, cannabis-based THC versus marijuana-based THC. You know, whole, ec whole plant extract and spectrum and all of these different parts that we're starting to see and hear. And it's really very confusing. And so what happens is, is that um, you, you really need to start focusing on what you're getting. So as opposed to talking about, you know, we don't talk about Tylenol, we talk about acetaminophen. Tylenol is the brand name. Acetaminophen is the actual chemical that you're getting. You get acetaminophen in a lot of things. So we have acetaminophen mm -hmm. in Norco. We have acetaminophen in um, Dayquil and NyQuil. We have acetaminophen in... Um, a lot of even some of these the mixtures of medications that we put together to help people feel better from a cough or from a sore throat we we mix in acetaminophen into it but we don't call it that we call it sequel mm. right or we call it cough suppressant mix um, and so what we're starting to see now is is cannabis being used in that same fashion so what i urge people to do is look at their label and look at what they're actually getting and what milligram dose of what they're actually getting. So are you getting THC? It, that's the part that gets, for the most part, people high. That's what people are looking at to get high. Are they getting CBD, which is the overall is not what gets you high. It's more of what helps with body aches and pains or muscle aches and pains. Are you getting, you know, when they say full plant extract, what does that mean? Does that mean you're getting mm -hmm. the terpenes? And we can measure those terpenes now. So are you getting beta carophylline? Are you getting linalu? Are you getting limonene? Are you getting, you know, and we can kind of go on and on. There's 200 plus chemicals in this plant. Because at the wow. end of the day, it's a plant, right? And it's not measured in a test tube and extracted down to one little isolated chemical part. So, I mean, when you talk about that, then it's so fascinating because you don't think of it being broken down. But at the moment, I mean, I know we see everywhere CBD oil, CBD water, CBD everything, um, and all the benefits that come from that. But when people typically think of marijuana or cannabis, they think about the getting the high from it. And so when people smoke to get high or take it as a drug form, they're really getting this, the THC part of the plant. Whereas what you're doing and what you're working with and administering is the CBD part? I work with of all that? of it. So I work okay. with all of it. I even work down to the terpene level. So um, because what we're seeing is part of the benefit and depending on what you're looking like at. So for example, for insomnia or for sleep, um, a lot of people are saying, oh, I take CBD for sleep. It's the most common misuse of CBD is for sleep. It's oh, very wow. frequent. Um, it's about, I'd say about 10 to 15% effective for sleep. Whereas the overwhelming part of the population that's getting benefit from cannabis in general is actually getting THC for sleep. Um, you're not right. going to get the benefits from CBD for sleep. And okay. even the people who are touting that for sleep, you'll notice there's other adjuncts into their medication. So mm -hmm. it's CBD plus melatonin, plus linalu, plus limonene. Plus all these other parts that are also helpful for sleep. Maybe it's mm. not just the CBD that's doing it. Or maybe they're mislabeled. It's, you know, not right. clear. So is it regulated that what they have to, you know, with everything else, it's typically labeled all the ingredients? And how about with the 
the cannabis? It's a great question. So the best part about the recreational legalization of these medications has been actually the regulatory pathway. So they have mm. to label their plants. They have to have all the medication go through a lab testing. They have to have the lab testing then label what's actually in the medication. And if they have a bad batch, it gets thrown out. So what's, mm. what's happening, unfortunately, is a lot of the hemp-based CBD products are not going through these regulatory pathways because they're expensive. And mm. you know, we have mom and pop shops who are still running through hemp CBD, you know, under the guise of hemp CBD. And it's great. I don't by any, by any means want them to close shop, but the problem becomes is that they're not going under those same strict regulatory pathways. They don't have to mm. get tested. So they can claim that they're 100% CBD, but in fact, maybe they're 75% CBD and 25% THC. And so it's not clear what their claims are versus what's actually in it if they're not going through a dispensary, a licensed dispensary, because that's the only mm. place right now in California and in other parts of the country that can sell these medications. Mm. So when we see MedMed or we see the green dot and we see all of these recreational marijuana shops popping up all around the city what are they then selling and how is that regulated or is it not so they so so the the best part about all of those shops you just mentioned is that they're all licensed locations mm -hmm. so all of their products have to be licensed in order for them to maintain mm -hmm. their license status so what ends up happening is is that you go all the way down and you see that all the plants that are being used all the manufacturers, all of the all those steps, all the laboratories that are being used are going through their appropriate license steps. So where mm -hmm. where is this problematic, for example? So yeah. some of the times what I'm seeing is CBD that's being sold in you know your local store or at the farmer's market. Again, I, I really appreciate and I love that cannabis has come up through these ways, but the problem becomes is that they're not being regulated in those mm -hmm. in those pathways. So what those people can do and what I urge, you know, mom and pop shops to do is, is to still go out and get their products tested, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I have no idea where they're getting their products from, but they can at least go get it tested and accurately label their products. That's the best thing that everyone can do so that we know what mm -hmm. we're ingesting. Because at the end of the day, the only other time you know what you're ingesting is when you get actual flour and ingest mm -hmm. it that. So how do you administer that to your patients and when they come to you? That's a great question. So now cannabis comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. Mm -hmm. So you can inhale it, you can vape it, you can dab it, you can ingest it, you can use it as a sublingual tincture, you can use it as an oil you ingest, you can mix it into your food items, you can take it as a brownie, as a honey stick, as a chocolate bar. Mm -hmm. You can, And then we get more creative. So you can do... Um, you can do rec um, sorry, uh, rectal suppositories. You can do vaginal wow. suppositories. <laughs> you can do wow, so really, whichever way. <laughs> right. Oh, it comes in so many shapes and forms. There's one product in particular that is advertising use for that time of the month. And when you get your menstrual cramps, especially for women yeah. who get cramps so bad that they are out of school or work for a few days every month. I mean, that's a terrible yeah. situation to be in. And so you can use it almost with a tampon in order to kind of help minimize your menstrual cramps and to be able to be back mm -hmm. and functional. Um, wow. 
Right. It would just a thing, right? I mean, yeah. But that's what our friend was saying yesterday. Yeah. She uses it for menopause. Okay. She didn't want to be using HRT anymore, right? Yeah, so. that's what I was going to ask you. As far as like a woman's perspective, like with hormones and things like that, it can. It sounds like it can be helpful, you know, not only to menstrual cycles, but then maybe regulating hormones all the way into menopause. Could you talk a little bit more about for from a woman's perspective? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go down one more path. Sorry, because we're not done yet. You sure. don't think yeah, that yeah. I'm no, stopping okay. vaginal suppository? Yes. No. <laughs> no. This is so good for learning so much. Thank you. So then you can also use it as topical creams and ointments and lotions, which also can be helpful for cramps, for menstrual cramps in particular. So you can use it really just right over the top of your pelvis and rub it over your abdomen for pelvic cramps. And I find that even works really nicely for some mm. people. Um, so to go back to women and hormones and regulatory pathways. So if you talk about it kind of through our cycle of life, um, if you start at, you know, our teenage years where we start going with, um, you know, menstrual, where menstrual cramps start, and then you take it through our, our fertile years, so to speak, when we're actually having babies and going through pregnancies and postpartum, and then you take it into menopause. There's, there's a lot of different aspects that we can use this or implement it in. And so we'll start with you know, young womanhood or the, the very start to all of this. And like I mentioned, you know, having those cramps, you know, for some women, it's really bad. We all know those women, right? Mm -hmm. We all knew those mm -hmm. girls growing up who had to miss school once a month because they couldn't, they couldn't get out of bed because the pain was so bad. So Motrin and Aleve came along and, and we really started using those products for the cramps and that helps a subset of women. And it still helps a subset of women. But then there's another group that it's still not enough for. So mm -hmm. in the medical field, we started having women skip their periods, right? So we start using mm -hmm. um, birth control or uh, implantable mm -hmm. devices or IUDs, or et cetera, in order to have them skip their periods so they don't have to go through that every month. And again, that helps another subset of women. And then you're left with another small group of women where this either isn't helpful or they don't want to go down those routes. Um, and what can we use? What are our other options? And so this mm -hmm. becomes that other option. Um, and for those women, and because of their age and because we don't want them getting large amounts of THC, which is really the, the component we're talking about here, we start using things like topicals or creams that you can help right over, you know, in the lower abdominal area, use a, a salve to help kind of with those cramps and that's easy to use it's easy to put in your bag it doesn't cause any psychoactivity it doesn't cause you to be embarrassed it doesn't cause you to have to put something up your vagina where you may feel really uncomfortable doing right i mean like mm -hmm. you're 13 for teens like young teens yeah, exactly right. but how quickly does that start to take an effect is it like a tylenol well it will take sort of 15 20 minutes before it starts to have an effect on the pain Yes, absolutely. So that's exactly right. So the salves really work very quickly. They work about 15, 20 minutes and you'll start seeing the effectiveness. So, you know, sometimes we'll use that plus a Motrin or a Tylenol and really put those in combination together and really get the pain under better control. Mm. So that's, that's kind of our, our youth and where we're going with our youth. And then we get into, you know, the middle the middle female ages. And, and that's where in the postpartum, you know, time especially is where I'm seeing a lot of women show up and say, man, I, I really can't sleep. The baby is finally starting to sleep through the night, but now I'm so anxious or wound up 
that I keep hearing things that I think is the baby screaming or crying. I can't mm-hmm. take an Ambien or I can't take a Lunesta or I can't take any of the, these other sedatives because it makes me sleep. I'm worried that it's going to make me sleep too soundly and I won't be able to wake up with my baby scream. So I need something to help me maybe fall asleep a little bit easier, but not stay asleep without any cues to be woken up because that's a, mm-hmm. a lot of our fears when we're parents, right? We want to be able yep. to, you know, if there's a fire, if there's an earthquake, we want to be able to get up and get moving and without having to be completely knocked out. And that's where mm-hmm. I find the smokables actually are really helpful because their effectiveness is actually just a very short-lived effectiveness. They only last about an hour or two and they work very quickly. So you don't have to take a pill, you know, 20 or 30 minutes beforehand. You can use something right in the middle of the night when you're having trouble, or you can use it again when you, your baby wakes you up and you have a hard time falling back asleep, but it won't knock you out to the point where you won't be lucid if you need to wake up. So that's, you know, a very different point of view or different perspective. And then it gets into a lot of people's questions about, well, I'm still breastfeeding. And, you know, this is going to add that. (laughs) You add another layer into the conversation. And it's so funny, women, we're so complex. And it's not just, you know, my husband, when I had a baby, he was like, why can't you sleep? Like, just put, you know, he would like put, um, uh, what is it called? I'm blanking on the word. He'd put an earplug in and he'd just go to sleep and he didn't have a care in the world. I was like, well, I can't do that. Somebody has to wake up, right? <laughs> it's so easy. I was like, well, somebody has to breastfeed and somebody has to like be able to be cognizant in the middle of the night. And so we, we forget how many layers go on with, with children. Um, mm. And so being able to breastfeed is another aspect. And that's something that, you know, we don't have, clear-cut data on so it's it's Mm. another reason why you may want to pump and dump um yeah but i'll tell you the studies are not i i and first of all let me be very clear i'm not one to encourage someone to use any medication when they are actively breastfeeding or um taking care of a child first and foremost (laughs) put that up but but if we're going down the options of do I need to take a pill a day to help postpartum depression because I can't sleep and that's really the major factor maybe we need to start rethinking what we're using and can Mm -hmm. I use something once a week to help me sleep through the night versus do I need to take a medication every day where I can't breastfeed or it's going to limit my supply of breast milk so these are the tough questions and these are the questions that we really need to start having open and honest discussions about Mm. Um, and, and that's where some of this gets a little dicey, so to speak. Right. Um, so, so then going on to later in life, um, you know, and when we hit around menopause, you know, for some it's late early mid forties, for some it's late fifties. And so it's, it's really getting to what do we do and what are the biggest issues and what are the problems and what are our options? So hot flashes is a really big deal for a lot of women. Mm. And this is a really tough subject. And so, you know, one of our options right now is this hormone replacement therapy. And are we just taking a hormone just for hot flashes? Can't we do this better? You know, why do we need to supplement with a hormone that could be potentially dangerous for other reasons? Mm. Um, You know, heart disease is a big one. And it's a big reason why we don't always suggest that medicine for women over the age of 50, because it can lead to heart problems. 
So why don't we tackle just the, the issue of hot flashes? And cannabis is, is notoriously well known for causing people to have dry mouths and dry eyes. You know, that's where the whole concept of having bloodshot eyes comes from, is it causes dry eyes. And the concept of cotton mouth, you know, if we, if we're, if we reframe and re-reference what we already know about people who were stoners, right? They would get cotton mouth and red bloodshot eyes. And this is from having dryness. And why can't we use that to our advantage in women who are having hot flashes? So let's tincture a little bit and see if we can't stop those hot flashes and can't stop those sweats because that's what's incredibly uncomfortable and not just uncomfortable, but makes us really nervous about going out without a fan and without being ready for, you know, sweat under our armpits and having clothes that can modify so that we can take all our clothes off if we're having hot flashes so we don't sweat and then we don't smell and then we don't get stains on our clothes. So it's, it's all of these <laughs> issues that I feel like men don't care if they sweat. They, you know, no. whatever. <laughs> whatever, we'll sweat and we'll change our undershirt. No big deal. But for women, it's a bigger, it's a bigger issue and it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a much more intense issue. Um, so mm. we can stop some of the sweating side effect and we can stop some of the hot flashes from kind of being so problematic um, using even a CBD cannabis tincture. So we don't have to get patients yeah. high. We can just use that. I say we can use the side effect profile to our advantage. And that's really what we're trying to do is we're using that side effect profile to our advantage. Mm. It's just so, so many layers that like you say, you just have no idea because we just see it as, as a drug because ultimately it's a drug and it's illegal in pretty much well, all around the world and, and all across the country, pretty much by a few states. So if it's so beneficial and it has all of these incredible benefits to our health when administered properly, why is it then still illegal in the majority of the country and the world? Well, so we're, it's a great question. We're actually changing that. So as we speak, I believe there's between 29 and 30 states that are medically legal. Cannabis is now medically legal in the majority of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's actually now the minority that is med medically illegal. Um, part two is that we're now seeing recreational legalization in, mm -hmm. I believe, about seven states, if I remember correctly. And I bet with next no with this upcoming you know vote, there's going to be another surge. Um, but then we're seeing Canada has now recreationally legalized. It's been about two weeks. October 17th, they recreationally legalized an entire country. They are the second country in the world that has recreationally legalized. Uruguay is the first, I believe, and now Canada. And I think this is just going to become a domino effect. And then I will open up an added layer here in the United States because I think we hold ourselves up to a different standard oftentimes than the rest of the world. And we do actually have two cannabis-derived medications that are not just legal, but they're FDA regulated and they're DEA regulated. The first one is called Marinol, M-A-R-I-N-O-L. And that's been um, a federally legal and a pharmaceutical derived medication that's THC based for years. Mm -hmm. And we've had that available to us in the medical world for cannabis induced, uh, not cannabis, chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting for HIV patients in the, you know, it was a bigger issue when we weren't treating them very well. But now that we have better treatments, it's not as big an issue. But for HIV wasting and appetite stimulation, 
uh, Marinol mm -hmm. was approved. And now as of about a month now, I believe, we now have a new descheduled CBD-based medication called Epidiolex run by GW Pharmaceuticals. And this is designed for children with really severe seizure dis disorders. So um, it's designed for patients two years old and up who have 200 plus seizures a day, essentially. So this is wow. you know, very dramatic, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and it's being designed for the very dramatic, but they've been able to deschedule this as a medication, which just goes to indicate to us how good a medication it actually is. So it didn't even go down from a level one or a, a number one to a two or three, went all the way down to a schedule five medication. So, mm -hmm. so what you're saying and the point you're making is really important. Um, and, and this is part of the educational part of all of this is yeah. that we really need to acknowledge that. And this was a big, a big thing for me. I used to be very anti-drugs and for me, drugs also included cannabis and marijuana. And it very much meant to me that you were a pothead if you smoked pot, um, mm -hmm. and how, how much life has changed and how much things have changed by understanding that we do have regulatory pathways that are accepting this and not just accepting this, but really understanding the, the side effect profile is really very minor as compared to a lot of other medications we have out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is so interesting. And I love that, you know, there's experts like you studying this and sharing this with all of us because it's just nice to have more options and opportunity to um, take charge of your own health in a way that it supports your yeah. own needs and your own way of being. And that's, that's what I love is there's just so much choice behind it. So if I was someone who wanted to explore more about this process, like for example, I, um, I tend to get migraines around my menstrual cycle. So would I be an ideal candidate to try something out of all the options that you just explained? And if so, like how would I go about getting myself treated for that? That's a great question, actually a really common one. So migraines, um, we are, and you're going to have to take this with a grain of salt because we're still like just kind of opening up the tip of the iceberg yeah. with all of this. But I find in my office practice um, that you can use topical creams that are cannabis-based for migraines. Cool. So you're going to start really by applying it at the top of your forehead, rubbing it down to the side going down around the base of your neck and getting all the way down to the base of your neck. And the same thing, I find that when it works and it doesn't work with everyone, but when it works, it works really well and it goes away in about 15 to 20 minutes. I also use wow. it almost as a migraine prevention. When you feel that migraine coming on, that's when I sure. have people apply it. And that's an okay. easy first step for most yep. people to kind of acknowledge that this is not dangerous, that you're not mm. going to get any psychoactive effects that you're not going to lose your mind or go into reefer madness from all this. Because at the end of the day, I yeah. think it's really important to address people's fears. And these yeah. fears come from somewhere. And if you can apply a cream and get rid of your headache, I mean, how amazing would that be? Yeah, that yeah. would be amazing. Because I know mm -hmm. now like the only options really are if you want to take something, it's like caffeine induced. Um, and a lot of times when you're feeling like that, you can't really eat. And then it's like, sometimes it's before bed, so you don't want to take a, like something of caffeine and then your stomach hurts. Like for me anyways, that's usually what happens. It's like the only thing that'll take it away is like 
Excedrin kind of takes it away, but there's caffeine in it, so then I feel like I can't sleep, and then my stomach starts to hurt, and it's just like this whole whole horrible experience. So yeah, if I could just take a cream and just relax for a few minutes and go away, like Mm. that'd be amazing. Right, and then wouldn't it be nice to just be able to go to sleep then? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's <laughs> well, we don't talk yeah. about that, but the side effect profile of a lot of medications we're willing to kind of swallow, so to speak, yeah. because we the other part hurts so bad, right? So mm-hmm. we have to kind of we have to um, prioritize what what issues we're going to have to deal with. So if you get a little bit of heartburn from the medication, or it's going to keep you up at night, which one's worse? Is it worse to suffer with the headache that you know is going to last? Mm-hmm. 24 hours or 48 hours, or is it better to just not sleep for a couple hours, which I promise you will also worsen your headache. Um, right, exactly. yeah. right. And so it's, it's being mindful that maybe there are other solutions to this. And you know what? I, I say it's just another tool in our tool belt, right? We don't have to have yeah. the perfect answer every time, but maybe you can use Excedrin when you're out and about during the day because you could benefit from the caffeine. But at nighttime, maybe that's not the route you want to take, and a cream would be so much easier. So it's yeah. it's taking the side effect profile and working those side effects to your advantage. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. It's just about educating people, yeah. isn't it? And I think for a lot of people, that mental block is, oh, kind of, a, it's a drug. I can't possibly take that. But to be able to apply topically to the skin and get the benefits, versus, well, if you're going to take that ingested, you're going to get this deadening of the nervous system you're going to get this kind of lethargy and you're not going to feel like you can focus and navigate and get the red eye and everything else at least starting with a topical application and seeing and feeling those benefits is a lovely way to introduce and to help people and to learn and to start to educate them right um, in alternative methods exactly Mm. yeah you know um it's it's one of it's one of the nicest easiest pathways for people to just be like oh i didn't know you could do that Mm, and and yeah. just an easy introduction really it's a really easy yeah introduction to yeah it. so where so how would one get started like if they're listening to this or ask even would they just look up a doctor like you for example online like how would one get started with trying to use this as a treatment option for any symptoms that they might be having yeah great question so i so one of the ways i myself got educated as well um, and I find that this is really important is education and going to people who have, um, who know your medical history so that they can advise you better. So for example, to tell you when to take Excedrin, when to use this, um, and when to alternate those two, two so that you're not kind of compounding things. Um, mm-hmm. I would suggest going to the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. So cannabisclinicians.org. Okay. Um, and they have on there a directory of your local cannabis clinician and it's you know it's a directory of people who are members of the society who participate in cmes and lectures and you know the educational pathway where we're trying to get information out to everyone so that they can you know get educated through these pathways Um, but cannabisclinicians.org is a great way to find your local cannabis doctor and people who've been in this field and who have found no benefit from this. Um, that's a great resource. Um, I'm here local in LA, so I um, do phone consultations as well. Um, I'm at. You can find my website at thereliefinstitute.com. www.therelief with a leaf, L-E-A-F, not the regular spelling of relief. <laughs> Perfect. 
Mm. Yeah, thank you. I just thought about that because I was like, gosh, I'm like, I wouldn't know where yeah. to start. If, mm. um, but yeah, this is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing all this information. I think this has kind of mm. been on people's minds, you know, and the more conversations we have just like yep. yesterday, we started to talk about this. And like, it's, you know, it's just nice to have an alternative that's a little bit more natural and, you know, to have like, education like this is we're excited to be able to share you and this education with our listeners too. So it's so wonderful. We have to embrace it because yeah. it's, you know, it's becoming, yeah. it's part of everyday society now, you know, we're yeah. seeing it and all the I, time. I mean, I think it's really important also to educate our youth and to help yeah. them understand mm -hmm. that just because a little is good, a lot is not better. It is the, yeah. you know, I find that now that the cannabis industry is making so much money I mean, really, mm -hmm. they are such a profitable industry, much like alcohol and cigarettes, yeah. that I, I worry that they're going to start pushing the wrong information out there, which is mm -hmm. a little is good, a lot is better. Um, and that's not the right perspective. That is not yeah. the right um, education path that I'm looking to help people understand. I want our youth to understand that there is appropriateness to this and there is inappropriateness to this, just like alcohol and cigarettes. This is mm -hmm. not something that should be used when you are 13. Um, I have people who come in like, uh, you know, in their twenties and thirties who, who tell me very clearly that they started smoking pot when they were 13 and it was just cause it was available and it made them feel good. And I always ask the same question what about the age 13 does not feel good? Because if, if you are so stressed out that you need to smoke pot every day at age 13, there is something that we need to be doing as mm. parents, as educators, mm -hmm. as a society yeah. to change that. And that's not yeah. okay. At 13, I get it. You're going through puberty. There's a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of hormone changes and bodily changes mm. and there's stressors at school. But that stress should never be so overwhelming that you need to seek another source outside of your body to help get through the day. Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, I think my twins, right. well, my yeah. twins are 13 and they, they were laughing this morning because I said we were having you on the show. Oh, and they, it's so funny, they call it marijuana and they think it's hilarious <laughs> because they only know that side of it of what they hear in, you know, in their teenage, you know, youth and their friends. And when they see these people that are, you know, we live in Venice in California, we see people that are walking around stoned and they're, you know, in the wrong side of that. So it's interesting. And I think it's crucial for them to understand that it's not something that you just go off and do, even though it's illegal now, you know, how do you explain the difference between recreational and medicinal? you know, for my children or for other children, like you say, age 13 and above, that are really, you know, experimenting or think it's cool to experiment, especially now that it's legal. Right. right. And, and to be very clear, there's a difference between experimenting and daily habitual use. You know, mm -hmm. I, I find that it's, it's really so challenging to talk to the youth about this because mm -hmm. I find that a lot of them are going to go out there and experiment. And the question is not experimenting or habitual use, it's why are you sourcing that? Why are you mm. going out to look for something that makes you feel good? What doesn't feel good about your life right now? And I feel like that's mm. the really the hard conversation we need to have. <laughs> um, we need to ask our youth, why, what does not feel good? Why yeah. do you feel like you, you know, I, we don't talk about abuse enough, quite frankly. I don't mm -hmm. think that we talk yeah. about sexual, psychological, um, physical abuse enough in our society and mm. we kind of ignore it and we don't want to acknowledge it until quite frankly it's too late um yep. you know we we talk about 
you know, unfortunately the politics of the world today, you know, why didn't you mm -hmm. come out when you were a teenager and it's fear-based and nobody mm -hmm. asks and nobody talks about it. So, so why not address those underlying issues when it's actually happening as opposed to talking about the outlet, which is the drug use. Yeah. The, the drug use is the final product. It is not the initial cause. It, we need mm -hmm. to talk about what the initial cause of it is. Yeah, that's another topic. That's yeah, another, another topic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll yeah, have you back to talk about that. That's so, exactly though. That's yeah. the message that we have to get out exactly. there. Don't just mask and hide. Right, or no, like you say, with the alcohol, with you know the drugs. It's it's getting to the underlying problem because no matter how much you numb and try to mask it, that's not going to ever go away. It's yeah. just going to get worse exactly. and worse. And what? And what a good question to ask, what isn't feeling good? That's that. like a really conscious That's question it. to ask yourself, why am I actually yeah. indulging or trying to numb or whatever? And that is a great question. It's yeah. a very conscious question. What What is not feeling good that's making me feel like I have to overuse yeah. something that's going to numb or, you know, take away whatever that emotional pain might be. So, right. yeah, really well said. I think as grown-ups, we feel like, we know what we're trying to numb, you know, when we have a mm -hmm. drink at the end of the day, cause we're stressed out from life and work and, mm -hmm. you know, everything. But I think some people do and some people don't, and some people mm -hmm. have adjusted to just masking it. And so we really need to get at that conversation. That's a, that I, I try and encourage people to have that conversation as the very first step. Because you're right, mm -hmm. I think it's it's just an easy point to make. What doesn't feel good? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very good. And maybe they don't even know. So then yeah. that's a great way to don't. open to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, they probably don't. They probably don't know what feels good because today maybe one thing mm -hmm. doesn't feel good. And, you know, I have, I have a patient um, with Lyme disease and, um, and the patient is in his late 20s if I remember correctly and you know when you kind of dig at it it's not to me it's not the Lyme disease it's the fact that he was sexually abused at the age of 16 and that mm. he doesn't really talk about that abuse and whenever that abuse conversation comes up all of a sudden he's having pain everywhere and that's what mm. he needs to address with drug use and so it's really getting at the heart of it all. And I feel like we, we forget that conversation, you know, in, in everyday terms. And we forget to have mm -hmm. those, because that's the hard conversation. That's the really yeah. hard conversation. And it's easy to be mm -hmm. like, don't do drugs. <laughs> or yeah. don't, don't yeah. drink. To come from a place of judgment and don't do this and don't do that, but actually more so, mm -hmm. why, what is it, what's going on deeper? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. Amazing. I mean, just fascinating. Yes, thank you. This is so grateful so... to have you to come and help to explain yeah. and to start this beginning of the educational pathway for people to yeah. be able to, to make their own decisions based off what they hear and their own experiences and maybe try the topical applications as a beginning point for certain issues which they've struggled with and, and need a different option, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just, I, I'm really all about empathizing with our fellow person and um, I find that if we can help just empathize with what somebody else is going through and mm -hmm. be there for one another and just be a listening ear that's really what I would encourage over um, mm -hmm. you know I think charitable donations are important and phenomenal and wonderful but right now in this day and age I think empathy is so important mm -hmm. and 
judgment mm. is so important. And I think that, you know, with the elections coming up next week, it's not just about voting, but it's about being able to talk to your fellow human being about what their perspectives are and what makes them angry and what makes them sad about everything. You know, yeah. like, why is it that we can't talk to one another anymore? It's, it's really very polarized and, and being able to have that conversation and being able to be empathetic for our fellow human being and what they've gone through. And that may be a reason why they are, you know, their perspective is different from our own. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we have to change their perspective. It means that we have to understand their perspective and yeah. see how we can do better. All right. Yeah. Right. Let's do better mm -hmm. with this upcoming election. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. For Very sure. well said. Yeah. That compassion and empathy can mm. really change a lot of things. So absolutely. Yeah. It's come from place of love. Mm -hmm. yeah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, we will put all the links that you've given us, some phenomenal information, some fantastic links. We'll put all of that onto the show notes. And um, can we find you on social media or are you on social media or are there anything that we can add or just kind of. i'm i'm on facebook i know i i still haven't gotten hip to twitter <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not i'm not quite a millennial and i'm not quite out of the millennialness uh, your millennial twitter hasn't kind of i haven't gotten hip to it so you can find me on facebook at the relief institute as well and okay. relief yeah spelled with a leaf like the leaf on a tree l-e-a-f yeah. um uh otherwise i am uh, on my own website and then you can also find I also work with um, addiction and using cannabis as a mode of uh, an exit drug or to maintain sobriety and we do that through a group Wonderful. called high sobriety so you can go to highsobriety.com as well if you or a loved one or anyone you know um, has had trouble with addiction um, we we are hoping to open up a new a new avenue or a different pathway for people who can't get off drugs other ways. Which is quite interesting in itself because so many people see cannabis as a drug that people get addicted to, and yet you're now using it to recover from addiction. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. I know. It's like, a yeah, it's so cool. I mean, we talk about like other topics of conversation. It's like another hour yep. conversation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that next time. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's so wonderful Amazing. to learn about all the yeah and the possibilities with the natural form of this um, plant, and I can't wait mm -hmm. to see what the future holds with mm -hmm. discovering more natural remedies of helping yeah. each other exist in a healthy way. So, Amazing. thank you so much for your time. My really appreciate it. I'm happy to you are. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you guys are loving our episodes, we would love it if you head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps our podcast get found by others so we can help more wonderful women. Um, also, you can follow us on Instagram at Hiking and Heels. Um, also, you can visit our website to learn more. So thanks again for tuning in.